We are in a year and next year in which there are men and women who are running for different uh, offices, specifically the big one, the President of the United States of America. And some of you saw this week, possibly, uh, some men and women on a stage stating why they are qualified to be the next president. All of them uh, aspire to that position. They go on to share their accomplishments. Uh, many of them promise you everything under the sun, X, Y, and Z, to get you to vote for them. In a similar way, we live in a time in the church in this world in which both men and women aspire to be leaders in Christ's church. Therefore, we come to a text today, which again, as I prayed yesterday, I'm like, Lord, we're going to be outside. There's going to be all these distractions. Lord, keep the planes like a mile away from us because they always fly right over here. And I was like... Holy Spirit, give us minds to understand. Would you help us know? And, 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 and because I'm telling you this morning, you got to put your thinking caps on. You need to, that's why I said, get, you need the handout. You need to read the word um, and for us to do that together. Because in this series, the last three weeks on the roles, uh, biblical roles of men and women, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, that God created men and women uh, equal uh, in his image uh, and also distinct with different roles. And we saw last uh, week uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 that uh, husbands and wives uh, created equal in the image of God, yet are distinct in the roles that they've been given. And so we end this series before we begin a series on the book of Nehemiah next week to look at what is God's design for leadership within his church, the body of Christ. The question is, um, what does God's word clearly state regarding who can be a leader in Christ's church? The good thing is we've been given God's word with clear instructions, and uh, I pray that we would have an understanding today. The scriptural truth as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 is this, God's word declares that spiritual leadership of Christ's church be men of proven character who shepherd the flock of God entrusted to them. Let me read that again. God's word declares that spiritual leadership of Christ's church be men of proven character who shepherd the flock God entrusted to them. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The glorious word of God. What I want us to look at is uh, three things. They're also in your notes this morning. And in verse one is aspiring to spiritual leadership, aspiring to spiritual leadership. 
Paul writes in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The word aspire means to stretch oneself out or to stretch forward to, to reach out or to long after something. And as we look at this, we look at this office of overseer this morning. And this morning you will hear me, and the reason for those half sheets is you will hear me speak of overseers, elders, shepherds, and pastors being synonymous. They are the same uh, position of leadership. When you look at what we have been given for Scripture, the qualifications and requirements for leadership in Christ church uh, brings uh, both difficulty to the leader as well as great responsibility. Shepherding the flock that God has entrusted to the leaders of the church is no small work and requires uh, great commitment and also knowing that you will stand before God and must give an account on how you shepherded the flock that he entrusted to you. An overseer, an elder, uh, a shepherd, a pastor is not an honorary position. It is not given to any person in the church who's graduated through some things. It's not someone who's been a, a leader of a small group and then they become a, a deacon or deaconess or then they become an elder and on and on. There is no graduation process in that. Uh, a person who fulfills these qualifications, it's very clear from Scripture. It's not we select this person because they're a good business person or this person makes good decisions. No, Christ is very clear in His Word. His requirements not man's requirements for leadership within the body of Christ. He says it's a noble work in verse 1. The word means, uh, noble means beautiful or good. Uh, to specifically represent Jesus Christ by guiding, by guarding, by feeding, uh, leading the flock. And all who serve as overseers in that office at some point will be attacked will be persecuted, will be slandered as they hold to the Word of God. And so elders and overseers are to joyfully serve the church. They are to uh, pay attention uh, to uh, the flock. Uh, they are to not try to gain attention from the church. They are not to try to get praise from other people for what they are doing. Uh, the flock uh, of, that God has entrusted, Jesus Christ owns. Jesus Christ died for his church. Jesus Christ shed his blood for his people. And therefore, Scripture tells us Jesus Christ is the head. He's the chief shepherd, as the text will look at. He's the chief head pastor. And all overseers under him, uh, God entrusts his people to him by the power of the Holy Spirit that those leaders would stand for the word of God and care for the flock uh, with great care. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ loves his church so much because all of his church have all been born into this world with sin, passed down as we looked at the garden a few weeks ago, through Adam down to every one of us, and therefore, as Romans tells us, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The punishment for all of us is death, but God in His grace sends His Son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God, who adds humanity to His divinity, fully God, fully man, and Jesus Christ lives a life perfect, sinless, and therefore, 
is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one who goes to the cross and dies in your place for your sins. He takes your sin upon himself and he takes wrath from God the Father upon himself meant for you because he loves you. And he shed his blood so that you would be forgiven. And he shed his blood so he would purchase you for his own. And by faith in Jesus Christ alone that you're saved and you're adopted by the Father and you're given the righteousness of Christ. And therefore when God the Father sees you, he sees his Son. Amen? Amen. And you have a right standing before God and an inheritance in heaven set before you. And if you're hearing my voice this morning and you've never heard that before, today is the day of salvation for you. And God calls you to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to the glory of God and know that there's nothing you could ever do that could save you. Jesus has done it all. And therefore we trust in Him. So we're singing, He is faithful. We're forgiven by the work of Christ and we long for the day of being with Him for eternity. Jesus Christ died for his church and therefore calls leaders to care for it. Do you think Jesus loves his church? Do you think that Jesus upholds his church with great value? Yes, and an amen. And therefore, the weight that comes upon overseers, elders, shepherds, and pastors is great because there's a seriousness that must be taken for Christ's church. At the same time, we're told it is a good thing to aspire to this position which is being written about, that the work is a good work, and it's a great responsibility. And whoever would aspire this must look to Scripture, and the church must look to the Scripture and consider carefully, does this person fulfill the qualifications that Jesus Christ has written out to lead his church. The wonderful thing is we have been given a filter. We have been given a description, a job description, if you want to say, and it is in the word of God. It's here what I just read to you. A year ago, we were in first, or we were in Titus chapter 1 and read the same words. We see these things in Acts chapter 20, in 1 Peter chapter 5. We see this throughout Scripture that we have been given the filter. We have been given the job description for leaders in the church, and it is in the Word of God. So let's look at this second point and look at verses 2 and verses 4 and verses 5 in 1 Timothy. Qualities required by God. Qualities required by God for overseers in His church verse 2, it says, therefore an overseer. Now I want you to get out that little half sheet that I put there for you. Maybe you've already uh, skimmed through that. There's four key words we'll look at this morning. Words are important. And not just the English word, but the original language which we would read these scriptures in, written in the Greek. And so when you see verse 2 here in Timothy, it says, therefore an overseer. The word overseer, your version might say bishop there. It's this word at the top of your sheet there, episkopos, a superintendent, a bishop, a watcher, a guardian. In the New Testament, uh, ecclesiastical overseer. Now when you study church um, doctrine, it's called ecclesiology. You read these things in the church about church leadership. God gives us these things. And so we can understand. And so an overseer, a bishop, 
Uh, again, you can see where I misspelled bishop there. Episkopos is used here in verse 2. The second word in the blue there, and I color-coded these things uh, so that you could follow along. The word elders or presbyter, you may be more familiar with elders as we refer to elders in this church. Uh, Levi Jenkins just got up a few minutes ago and read to you from the book of Isaiah. Uh, he serves as one of the elders, overseers here at the church. The word presbyteros means older, a senior, presbyter, minister of a Christian church. The third word there is pastors, which many are or more familiar with. Pastors or shepherds, the word poimain, that a shepherd, a pastor, is one who tends the flock, a superintendent or a guardian. Now, when you ask people in the United States of America and you mention the word pastor, generally what comes to their mind is someone who stands at a pulpit and preaches or someone who marries people or buries people or they will baptize people or they will um, serve the Lord's Supper. These things which even the states are legally called the sacerdotal duties to be a pastor is those things that you would marry, you would bury, you would preach, you would uh, give, uh, commun serve communion and you would baptize. Those would be, in our culture, a description of the word pastor. The last word there is in the orange there is the word tend or paimeno. It's the verb of poimen, tend as a shepherd to feed, guide, guard, govern, and pastor the flock. Now, I know some of you are like, why are we doing this today? Just get to the barbecue. <laughs> this is serious, church. This lays the foundation for even why we're having our meeting tonight why we are examining uh, the things that our denomination has recently decided on. Uh, this is important. Uh, this is only being brought to you because the elders of the church, I being one of them, see that you must know and understand the scriptures and therefore uh, be warned of things as elders are called to do for the church the top two words there, overseer and elders, are used synonymously throughout the New Testament. They're used interchangeably. That's why we're going to look at these scriptures here. At the same time, I'm just going to give you a quote. It's a man's words. So again, it's not scripture. But A.B. Simpson, who founded the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which we are part of, wrote in one of his weekly articles in 1908. The article, it's in March 7th, 1908. It's the Gospel in Timothy. He entitles it, The Church, The Government of the Church. He says this regarding these two words. The apostle gives us in these pastoral epistles a good many glimpses of church government in the early church. It is evident that the principal official ministers in the church of Ephesus were elders and deacons. It is also evident that the words elder and bishop, or overseer there, were used interchangeably and in that they both denote an office of spiritual oversight. That's just a man's words. So now let's look at scripture here. Acts chapter 20, it's on your sheet. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul says goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. He had committed a few years to that church, lived with these people, and they come together and there's such a uh, relationship that the elders are weeping when Paul is leaving at that point. Acts chapter 20 verse 17 and verse 28 shows us that the leaders that he's speaking to are the same position in scripture. Acts 20 verse 17, look at your sheet there. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, presbyteros, of the church to come to him. He then goes and lays out, beware of the wolves, protect the flock, because as soon as I leave, they will show up. And in verse 28, speaking to the same leaders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves 
and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos, to care, poimeno, or pastor, for the church of God, which he obtained with what? His own blood. So here you have overseers and elders, or bishops and presbyter, used synonymously to the same men leading the church in Ephesus as the Apostle Paul addresses them. With that uh, in mind, as elders are charged with shepherding the church by guiding and guarding and leading and feeding the flock, um, this is a duty that's given, a responsibility that is weighty. And there's much confusion in the world between the word elder or overseer, shepherd, and pastor. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter lays out the, the, this, not the qualities or the uh, qualifications that we read in 1 Timothy and Titus, but he lays out the responsibility here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders, Pesbuteros, among you as a fellow elder, super, uh, can we say it, Buteros, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says, shepherd, poimaino, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, episcopeo, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, the chief pastor appears, the archpoimane appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All overseers, elders, shepherds, pastors will stand before Jesus one day and give an account of how they shepherded the flock entrusted to give them Christ's church. One more verse. Look at the bottom of your sheet, Ephesians 4.11. This is the one that takes Christians sideways and people begin to argue over who can be a leader or not. In Ephesians 4.11 and 12, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, poimen, and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. If you're reading out a King James Version or the NIV or another version, instead of shepherds there, it will place the word pastor. This is where we get into trouble and arguments among the body of Christ because the question then is who can be an overseer, who can be an elder, who can be a shepherd, and who can be a pastor? You must know from Scripture and the New Testament, we read these things, there's two offices that are mentioned. There's the office of overseer or elder, and there's the office of deacon or deaconess. Those are the only two official offices of the church. What happens, though, in our world, in our culture, we've made elders, shepherds, uh, overseers as an office. We've made deacons and deaconesses as an office. And then we've made a third office, and we call it pastor. That is not correct with Scripture. A pastor is not just some paid guy or, or woman who stands up somewhere and does these things. A pastor is a shepherd, an elder, a bishop, a presbyter, charged with shepherding the flock, separate from deacon and deaconess position, which we will not cover today, but I did extensively over a year ago when we went through Titus. If you go back to the website and listen to those sermons. Therefore, the question is, who can be an overseer? 
Who can be an elder? Who can be a shepherd? Who can be a pastor? Because they're all the same position. The answer is not based on our opinion. Scripture only has one interpretation. Recently I read an email in which a person said, well, the passage of Scripture may mean this or it may mean that. Uh, you can hold to that and I can hold to this. We'll never know on this side of heaven uh, what it really means. Which is a very fearful thing if you ever hear a leader in the church say that. Scripture has one meaning when you read it. And Scripture interprets Scripture. Therefore, we must take all the cultural arguments and throw them out. We must take everything that's an opinion of mankind and say, what is simple, simply the words of God speak to us. So with that, look at these qualifications. Because this leads us and gives us the answer. Verse 2 Timothy says they must be. Here's all the must-be's of an overseer, elder, shepherd, pastor. Must be above reproach, meaning blameless, without stain or without reproach, that an overseer, an elder, must have integrity in all moral and spiritual matters of their life. It does not mean that an overseer, uh, an elder, is sinless, but that an elder or overseer, a leader in the church, cannot be uh, accused with present sin that would disqualify them from being in that position. But look at verse 2. The husband of one wife. This is the answer to the question that everyone asks. Can a woman be a pastor? Can a woman be a spiritual leader in the church? Specifically in the position of elder, shepherd, bishop, pastor. The answer is here. The husband of one wife. A one woman man. In the Greek, the word ener, husband, it means a male husband. With reference to age. To distinguish an adult man from a boy. There is no scripture that I can find anywhere which says that the position of this that we're reading about today says the wife of one husband. There are no qualifications in Scripture that are set for a woman to serve as a pastor, elder, shepherd in the church. In this, Paul is not requiring that an elder must be married, but if he is married, we have um, instructions for this. If you read 1 Corinthians 7, Paul forbids polygamy, so we know that he's also stating that an elder should be have multiple wives, that uh, uh, these are the standards of things that he's set there. But God's word clearly states here that men only are elders, overseers, shepherds, and pastors. Again, when you look at our denomination... It would be important for you to hear our leadership. A.B. Simpson, who again founded the CNMA, wrote in one of his articles in 1891. You're like, 1891? It's a long time ago. Yes, it was. He wrote a number of things. Here's one that he wrote, an article on Ministry of Women. Friday, March 27th, 1891. He says, it seems to me that the New Testament prohibits women from the formal and official ministry of the Christian church in the strictly ecclesiastical sense. 
She is not called to be a pastor, an elder, a bishop, overseer, but besides the official ministry and government of the Christian church, there is infinite room for proclaiming a glad message of salvation. Amen. In another sermon on July 8th, 1894, it's called Object Lessons of Christian Service. He preached this in the Gospel Tabernacle in New York, and he said, it is, it is quite certain that the apostle placed women under certain limitations. We believe that these had only to do with the exercise of authority in the churches. God did not mean women to rule, but to love, suffer, and help. She is not called to exercise ecclesiastical authority or take her place in the ordained ministry and government of the church, but in the ministry of the testimony and teaching, both in public and in private, and in every office of holy love, consistent with the principles of Christianity, she has boundless right and freedom. Now, why do I read those quotes to you? Because some of you wrote in the last week to me and said, what did A.B. Simpson say? What does our denomination say? What are we dealing with in these changes? And therefore, go back to Ephesians 4.11 real quick and know this. The argument that's been presented, that's already been voted and approved on by the churches that we're a part of, is that in Ephesians 11, that those are offices as well as spiritual gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, poimain there, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. If those are spiritual gifts and offices, you must treat all of Scripture the same and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 and the gifts of the Spirit among the body of Christ that you as believers have. Therefore, if you have the gift of hospitality, we need to make you a title, an official office in the church, if we hold to that. You're the hospitality pastor. And over here, you have the gift of encouragement. Then we need to make you the office of encouragement. And we need to make those people the office of this and that. Go read 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. You Church, there is no error in God's word. It does not fight against itself. And therefore, you can't as the plane flies over loudly. This happens every time that we come out here. I actually prayed, move the planes farther. You can't have a scripture that disagrees over here, so you can't say, well, it's this and it's this, and it contradicts scripture. That is why scripture points out to us that shepherd, elders, pastors are the same position that God has given us these qualifications for. Now, here's a side question as we move through these qualifications. If a woman in the church who is saved by the blood of Christ, who is given spiritual gifts like her brother in Christ, cannot serve as an elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, what can she do? That's one of the other questions I've been given. I'm like, wonderful question. I love the question. Because when I read the scriptures, there are literally thousands of things that women in the church who are saved by the blood of Christ can and should be doing to minister to the body of Christ. Here's just a random list. There's no order with this, so just hang with me here. 
Women can minister, well, women and men are to minister, are commanded to minister by sharing the gospel. First and foremost, as I look out here, if you're a believer in Christ, every single one of you, including myself, are commanded to herald and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is your number one ministry that God has given you. He empowers you by the Holy Spirit to do so. We are to be obedient to that. But women can minister. Again, here's a list. Helping the sick and dying, being hospitable, praying, writing, giving counsel, discipling others, serving alongside of others, singing, playing instruments, organizing, administrating, designing, planning, and serving uh, with committees in the church or leadership groups that plan and put these things together. Women can minister to widows in only ways women can do that, even though men can do that. Women can minister to other women who have remorse from abortions in only ways that women can do that. Women can and should minister, as Titus says, the older to the younger, to new moms, to single moms, to cancer survivors, to abuse victims. Women should lead women's Bible studies. Women should study the Word of God to teach systematic theology, to teach the doctrine of God, especially within the groups of women and the children that we're raising. Women should and can plan missions work around the world, locally and globally. Women who have children, to raise their children with their husbands to do the glory of God. Women who are single, to hold on to that gift, as Scripture says, it's a gift of singleness from God. This church needs women who love Jesus. I'm so thankful that we have women who love Jesus. We need women who love the Word of God and set out to study the Word of God. And I'm so thankful that we have women who love the Word of God and study the Word of God so that the men and women of the body of Christ here at this place can stand for the doctrine of God, the correct teachings of His Word, and we can stand on it when the rest of the world wants to tear it apart. I'm so thankful for the fellowship of believers here. That's just the list that I have. We could go on with the list of the numbers of things and ways that women can and should use their gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God in the church. Let's look now to verse 2 and the rest of these, just briefly, the rest of these requirements. Again, we spent a lot of time a year ago. It says that an overseer, this man must be sober-minded, that he must be vigilant, that he must keep watch. Again, this is what was Paul was telling the church in Ephesus, to watch for the wolves, to watch for the heresy, to therefore look at doctrine closely and know when people are departing from the Word of God and from the doctrine uh, of God. They are to be self-controlled, which means sound in mind, moderate, temperate. They're supposed to be respectable there in verse 2, which means orderly, polite, of good behavior, or modest. It says to be hospitable. They must be welcoming of and fond of, of guests and strangers, given over to hospitality uh, because they love to be hospitable. They must be able to teach. This is a requirement of overseers, shepherds, elders, pastors. They must be apt or able to teach. It doesn't say that they have to always. Uh, we could on another day when uh, Paul the Apostle addresses um, men who are preaching and these things there, but every elder must be able to teach, whether it be a small group, whether it be before the whole congregation, they must be able to. Therefore, 
an elder must be a student of the Word of God. They must constantly be reading the Word of God, studying together with others, and praying for the understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. Look at verse 4 here in Timothy. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Nowhere that it does it state that an elder has to have children. Again, he does not have to be married, but those elders who are married and have children, there's a guide. I know that majority of my life growing up in the church and serving in ministry for numbers of years, there's always jokes and comments about the PKs, the pastor's kids. And some of you chuckle because you know what I mean. Oh, it's those pastor's kids. Yet, when we see that elders, pastors, shepherds, bishops, they're all the same position, it should be the elders and their children. But what happens is we separate it because in this world and our business mindset that has infected the churches, we think, well, the pastor's the CEO, and then he's got the board and all these things. That's not scriptural. And so a pastor, an elder, a shepherd, all of them must be held accountable to how they manage their household. If you read 1 Samuel chapter 2, there is the high priest there, Eli. And Eli was the man who was supposed to and charged with leading spiritually the nation of Israel. He had two sons, Eli and Hophnius, and they were men who served in the tabernacle as priests. And here's what it says about Eli and his sons, 1 Samuel 2.12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. His sons were wicked men having sex with women who served outside the tabernacle. These men were put in places of leadership that Eli should have removed them. When you read that, he kind of slaps their hands and says, Guys, why are you doing these things? Whatever, you shouldn't do that. He should have removed his sons from those positions. Just as if you see any elder, overseer, pastor, bishop, shepherd in the church that falls in these qualifications in sin, then they should be held accountable. Now, the question is, is an elder above reproach regarding his children's behavior? It does not say that the child must be a Christian, but he manages his household well. And therefore, um, to have a household full of children that are completely rebellious to their father who serves as an elder in the church would disqualify a person from that position. I don't know how many years ago, my daughter Hannah's 18 now, I think she was like five at the time. The church we were at, she was holding my hand and we were walking across this, uh, this uh, lobby area outside between the buildings of the church and one of the elders who just passed away a week ago, his name's Lee Brooks and just a wonderful man of God, he was determined and he comes walking up real quick to me and Hannah and, he's, and I'm holding Hannah's hand and he goes, he doesn't even say hi, I said hi Lee and he's like, does your daddy preach the gospel to you? And she, she's five. She's like, I'm like, uh, I just kind of chuckled nervously. But he was like wanting to hold me accountable, serving as a pastor in the church. Like this was an important thing to him. Did your daddy preach the gospel to you? Again, this picture of managing your household well, there should be that level set for the men who oversee the church. Let's look at these last few verses in the third point as we close this. Characteristics that disqualify 
First, we have the must-haves. Now, we have the must-nots in characteristics that disqualify in verses 3, 6, and 7. Number three, an elder overseer pastor must not be a drunkard. Paul never says that it's wrong to drink wine or put alcohol there. He actually tells Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach. But it's clear from Scripture in Ephesians and here in Titus that a Christian and specifically a leader here not be addicted to wine. Not be addicted to wine. So the question gets is, I'm sorry, but they're stupid questions. Well, how much can an elder drink? His freedom in Christ. Any amount of alcohol that causes you as a believer or any leader in the church to lose control over good judgment senses is too much. Uh, there is a fine line between having a buzz from alcohol and losing good judgment and sense. If you, as a believer or as a leader, are drinking to take the edge off of things after you get home, you're too stressed out, you are drinking for the wrong reasons. And so they're not to be a drunkard. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, verse 3. It means a striker, a fist fighter, a bruiser, ready for a fight, contentious and quarrelsome. It's like, man, I sure hope that none of the leaders want to start a fight with people. But I think a couple weeks ago I told you about a church in which there was a fist fight between elders and other people and family members that happened in a church service. Those things must not be for the man of God who leads in the church. It also can refer to verbal fighting. And therefore, elders, pastors, shepherds are always attacked among the body of Christ by the world as well as sometimes by those within the church. Therefore, the man of God must be able to control his tongue. And even when wrongly attacked, be able to answer with words of grace and words of forgiveness and words of God. He must not be a lover of money, verse 3, not greedy, not covetous, not for sordid gain, or I like the King James Version, it says, not for filthy lucre. Verse 6, it says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now we know that Timothy was a young elder, but here it's this picture of not someone who's brand new to faith in Christ two weeks ago, and now they're a leader in the church. They became a Christian just a few weeks back, and now they're leading. That's not to be according to the scriptures here. And verse 7, the final one, moreover, um, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It means to have a good report said about him, that there's evidence or witness of his life. And so we bring this to a close, and we know that God has called godly, qualified men to oversee his church, to shepherd his church, to not be superior to others, but to be obedient servants of Jesus Christ, who is the head. And so we looked the last three weeks. We saw in Genesis 1 that men and women are created equal in dignity, honor, and worth, made in the image of Christ. And we also saw that they're made distinct with different roles and when the fall came in Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve, they sinned, God held Adam accountable, and sin is passed down from Adam to all of us. And there was a curse in the garden on Satan. There was a curse on Adam, the man, and there was a curse on the woman, Eve. And he predicted and said, from now on, 
Women will try to usurp authority over their husbands. And this is why we have a battle in the church across the world today with the question, who can be a pastor? Can it be a woman or a man or both? And I've tried to lay out for you clearly what scripture has here. The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's returning one day. That yes, there will be a judgment for all who are far from Christ, but he will make all things new. And therefore the curse that we see in the garden will be gone. You will see brothers and sisters in Christ around the throne for eternity, on the new heavens and the new earth, and we will be in great fellowship. There will be no fight for authority anywhere because Jesus Christ is the head chief, the senior pastor, the elder of his people because he is God. I long for that day. I rejoice when we see that day so that there will be no more of this arguing, no more of this fighting for, no, I think it says this. No, it will all be revealed to us what is true and what is glorious. And therefore, church, I ask you to pray for the leaders of the church. I know you do, but I ask you to pray because we're charged with holding to the doctrine of God's word. And our church is facing a clear, different doctrine that's been presented. And therefore, we must stand on the word of God. We must stand on the truths of Jesus Christ and never waver. Pray that we would be a people that do not waver, that do not turn, do not shift our thoughts or are, are weighed by the things that culture lays out for us. We know that God has set out his plan and has made men and women in his image equal. And we rejoice in that. I long for that day that he restore all things and make all things new. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're in this text today which brings about some difficulties for the body of Christ. It brings about challenges for your church living and walking in this world today and how we should apply your scripture. Father, I pray that you would protect the body of Christ that's gathered here in this place on this Sunday morning that holds to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that loves your word that loves to read it and study it. Father, would you bind us in unity by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray for any who have come today, that today they've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they've heard that they are sinners in need of Savior, and that Jesus Christ provides the way of salvation. I pray today that they would believe in you, they would repent and turn from their sins, and that you would save them. Father, may you be glorified as we sing praises to you, as we gather around the tables and fellowship together, as we go to the river and watch brothers and sisters in Christ go to the waters of baptism. Let us rejoice, for you are good. We praise you and give you thanks, Jesus. Amen.